Let's pray. Give us courage to face our fears, a courage that's grounded in our hope in your salvific grace. And hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. Hear now a reading from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he's brought on the earth. God makes wars cease to the end of the earth and breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is the word of the Lord. You know, you can almost hear the people that the psalmist is trying to calm down, running around in the background, crying out, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. It's hard not to feel that way sometimes. I mean, the psalmist could have just as easily been singing into our age. Though the mountains shake and tremble, the waters roar and foam, though the polar ice caps melt and flood the cities of nations, even if climate change causes the earth to end. And then our political landscape, can you just hear the psalmist answering those who've stirred our fears with political ads and media? Though Kim Jong should launch his missiles and the Kremlin hack our email. Though immigrants storm our borders and take all our jobs, though the stock market crash and interest rates soar, I am the Lord your God. Inciting hysteria is an age-old art form born of our deepest fears. In fact, one of the very earliest iterations of our Henny Penny story is at least 2,500 years old. It shows up in the Buddhist scriptures. It's a story of a rabbit that hears fruit falling to the earth and thinks that the world is coming to an end. So he begins to stampede among all of his animal friends, inciting mass hysteria. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Today, we continue our worship series based on Adam Hamilton's book, Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope, during uncertain times. We've been examining the many ways that fear um, affects us and the many ways that it impacts our lives. This week, we're gonna look at dystopian thinking or from a biblical perspective, apocalyptic thinking. 
the fear that the world is coming to an end. We commonly refer to the end of the world as the apocalypse, though apocalypse is just the Greek for revelation. Still, some people think if they can just figure out how to decipher the book of Revelation, if they can just break the code, they will be able to predict the day and time that the end will come. I don't know about y'all, but that's way too much work for me. But fear not. One of the many wondrous and handy things that the internet has birthed is a website that, um, that you can consult that posts, drum roll please, the Rapture Index. <laughs> the website is called RaptureReady.com. The site evaluates a variety of what they refer to as related end-time components to predict how imminent the rapture is. Each category is rated on a scale of one to five and then added together to come up with the total. The all-time low was 58. That was back in 1993, and the all-time high was recently in 2016 at 189. As of February 11th, the rapture index is 179. The key indicators that are causing the current alarm are things like global financial unrest, the number of nuclear nations, plagues, the spread of Ebola into a major city in the Congo is driving that rating, and then the Antichrist category is completely maxed out. They're carefully monitoring Emmanuel Macron. And then the mark of the beast category, it's over the top at a five plus one rating. Y'all, things are not looking good. Y2K was fun. Do y'all remember the hysteria that spread leading up to New Year's Eve 1999? We wondered if the date change would cause computers to short circuit. And um, since most of the programs that we had at that time referred to our date with just the last two digits of the year. So we thought that when it rolled over from 99 to 00 that all hell would break loose, right? We thought the public's imagination, um, roused by fear mongers and the media and even some preachers, began to imagine all sorts of apocalyptic scenarios. I mean, we were afraid that it might cause power grids um, to stop working or airplanes to collide mid-air. We wondered if banks and ATMs would work. Would all the chaos cause the market to crash? Survivalists stocked their bomb shelters with water and canned goods, and some even stockpiled weapons and ammunition. There was a lot of money and energy that was spent by governments and corporations and computer programs, all troubleshooting fixes should this occur. Of course, it turned out that it was for naught. The apple dropped in Times Square at the stroke of midnight, as usual, and very little was affected. It didn't even move the needle on the rapture index. Now hear me, I am not saying that there's nothing to be afraid of. There are some very real threats in our world, in our lives. I mean, the threat of nuclear war is a real thing. Climate change is happening. Discrimination and racism continue to do great harm. And we do need to protect our democratic system from potential interference, but cries of the sky is falling 
they're rarely very helpful. Do y'all remember our acronym from the very first week of our series and how we can catastrophize our fears when our imaginations go wild and false events begin to appear real? Well, um, Adam Hamilton reimagines this acronym and wonders if it might be more helpful to look at that acronym in this way. What if when we hear voices crying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, we take a different approach? What if we begin to face our fears with faith and examine our assumptions in light of the facts and then attack our anxieties with action and release our cares to God? I spent this last week at a Methodist conference center at Lake Texoma learning about adaptive leadership. The conference was led by two bishops, Huey and Whitfield, and we talked about the fear of change. Specifically, we talked about the fear of loss. The premise was that we're not really afraid of change. It's loss that we fear. Oftentimes, when when there's change, we grieve what we've lost that was the reality beforehand. And we can't imagine, because we're so nostalgic for what was, that things might be better, or good, at least, on the other side of change. Instead, our tendency is to desire to return to what was. You know, the Israelites struggled with this in the wilderness. Their fear of the unknown was so powerful. Their fear of this future that God called them to was so powerful, it made them nostalgic for a life of slavery. When our worlds as we've known it feel like they've come to an end, when we can't see what lies ahead, it can feel like the sky is falling. And we have much that we could fear as the church these days. There's lots of change that has occurred recently and continues to occur. Mainline denominations have experienced decline for more than 50 years now. Trust in the church and in clergy has eroded exponentially, in particular in the past decade since reports of sexual misconduct have arisen in the Roman Catholic Church and then just this past week, again, in the Southern Baptist Church. Thank you. Thank you, safe gatherings. I know that there's been much weeping and gnashing of teeth over the new safety policy that our conference launched last year. I wept a little myself because, I mean, the requirements are stringent. They require a lot of those of us who would be in ministry with children, youth, and vulnerable adults. But in our current age, maybe it should. This past week, as I listened to the news reports of what's going on in the Southern Baptist Church, I found myself thanking God for our safety policy. I want the world to know that the United Methodist Church cares about keeping people safe. The special called session of General Conference is coming up next Saturday through the following Tuesday, where the church will um, wrestle over human sexuality in our church. I have no way of predicting how that will come out. I ask that we would all be in prayer through that. Our church 
Westlake United Methodist Church. We um, are experiencing a budget shortfall. And as a congregation, we are already mourning the loss of our beloved director of music and uh, worship, Diana. She's been called to this beautiful and powerful new ministry to lead the larger church in worship. But that represents loss and change for us. Times, they are a-changing. Our world as we've known it is coming to an end and it can feel like the sky is falling. We can make a decision though. We can decide how we respond. We can decide, are we going to all run around in circles crying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Will we perpetuate fear and incite hysteria? Or will we find another way? There is a more faithful way. We can face our fears with faith and we can examine our fears in light of the facts. Gil Rendell, has, he served as a pastor for years in the United Methodist Church before he began to work for about a dozen years or so with the Alban Institute. And then now, for the last 10 or so years, he's been the senior vice president of Texas Methodist Foundation's leadership ministry. He's an author and a speaker. His most recent book is called Quietly Courageous, Leading the Church in a Changing World. And in this book, he expands on a monograph that he wrote years ago um, that we read in preparation for the Academy last week. And in that monograph, Rendell talks about the decline that the church has experienced and our persistent nostalgia for a return to those times of growth. He draws on Yuval Levin's work and says, there are times, there are epics, there are ages, there are cultural moments when a convergence of unique conditions creates an environment that births and sustains a flourishing that is uniquely tied to that moment, but which cannot continue beyond the moment that created it. The growth of the church in the mid-20th century, Rendell says, was an aberration in which a confluence of conditions prompted growth and strength that could not later be sustained. Levin says that there was this 15-year period as our country moved through the Depression and World War II, that because of all the challenge and sacrifice that they faced together as a community, it bonded the American people into a cohesive force that was built on consensual national and global um, agendas. It was a time in which people agreed to agree and set aside their differences in order to work together on a common agenda. It was during this consensus and cohesion that the American culture pushed people toward membership in, in all manner of organizations and institutions, including the church, but also including things like the Lions Club, Masons, institutions and governments. At that time, they held the collective trust of the people and that it was during this unique time that the mainline church, like so many other institutions and organizations, aggressively pursued growth, bureaucratic structure, and strength, as well as accumulating resources and property. Gil Rendell says, we became large, strong, and institutional in a cultural moment that favored large, 
strong, and institutional. But that is not the case any longer. Those few decades represent an anomalous time in the life of the church that had never occurred before then, and in Gil Rendell's estimation, will likely not occur again, or it will be a long time before it does. And he says our greatest challenge now is that we continue to be nostalgic, which tempts us to go backwards instead of forwards. And he says the greatest danger that nostalgia carries with it is the temptation for us to work harder and harder and harder at what we already know how to do in order to recapture time and strength that no longer exists. It's doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. That's the definition of insanity. Nostalgia does not ask the question that we really need to be focusing on. How do we need to be different in this moment and for, this, and for the future? Times are changing faster than they ever have in the past. We are not a unified nation any longer. And trust in institutions and centralized power of all kinds, it's low. We cannot rely on what we have always done to help us meet today's challenges to further God's mission in a rapidly changing world. In that light, in light of that perspective, we can begin to formulate a better plan of attack. We can attack our anxieties with action that makes sense right now, given this cultural moment. Rendell says to do that, we need courage. Specifically, we need what he calls quiet courage. Rendell defines courage as knowing to be more afraid of not being able to move the church toward its missional purpose of changing people's lives and transforming communities than we are afraid of our own anxiety and our own loss of the familiar comfort that we experience in the face of change. Quiet courage, he says, it's not Wonder Woman swooping in and rescuing in a blaze of glory. It's a steadfastness. It's born of resilience. Resilience built or grounded in the knowledge that we as the church, we have faced many changes over the last two millennia, and we've survived them. And in many cases, new and more vibrant expressions of what faith looks like and can be have emerged. Our ability to multiply our witness to the world, it continues to grow. Quiet courage, he also says, is doing what needs to be done, even though many times there may be no immediate or obvious reward. So rather than inflaming panic, we're called to this quiet courage. Rather than crying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, we can, we can face our fears with faith. We can examine our assumptions in light of the facts. 
And we can attack our anxieties with action. And then finally, we can release our cares to God. Trust in the God who is our refuge and our strength. And grounded in this place, we can become a non-anxious or at least a less anxious presence in the midst of changing times that might feel to some as though the world is ending. When everyone around you is afraid that the rapture index is off the charts, we can remain steady and calm. Apocalypse is the Greek word for revelation. And from the Christian perspective, it's about the revelation of God's truth, seeing or glimpsing reality from God's perspective, especially in the face of of what feels like end times. Revelation is meant to encourage people who are afraid in the face of real or perceived threats so that we can face uncertain times with courage and hope. Ultimately, we discover in the book of Revelation that God is always and already making all things new. God restores creation to paradise. That is the promise that we have. It's scary because we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, although we're given a vision of it in Revelation, a new city and a new earth are revealed in which all people can dwell in the presence of God who illuminates everything. This is a paradise that we might experience now if we were to listen and believe the psalmist, if we were to take heart to be of good and quiet courage because God is our refuge and our strength a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Instead, we will listen for the whisper of God's voice spoken into our hearts. Be still and know that I am God. I am your refuge. Let's remember together the words of Jesus as he encourages us. When the wind is strong and the waves are high, remember the words of Jesus. When we feel abandoned and alone and we wonder what lies ahead, remember the words of Jesus. When we fail to be still and trust in God, Remember the words of Jesus. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. When we forget that God is our refuge and strength, remember the words of Jesus. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen.